Good morning, everybody. Can y'all hear me? Is that coming through over there? I'm hearing it. Good. We're seeing, oh, I've got some, some new friends and some old friends here with us this morning, which is just awesome. It's cool to see everybody here. Um, so I was thinking this morning, I had all these notes written down for um, the passage that we're going to be walking through this morning, which is Acts 4, 32 through 37. And it struck me, this uh, just kind of a word picture that I wanted to share with you guys. How many of y'all have seen the movie, The... Uh, the Grinch, or the How the Grinch Stole Christmas, or the Jim Carrey version. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we watch it every year um, of the holidays in my family, so it, the Jim Carrey version anyway. So it's uh, always, always quoting from it. But the image of the Grinch and the heart of the Grinch goes back to like when I first saw it as like a little, little kid. Um, and some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The Grinch has this really, really small heart, and it's kind of like gets smaller as he does more things that are not very kind or selfish. But towards the end of the film, and I love it when he picks up the sleigh in the new version, right? He like saves Cindy Lou. I got you, Cindy Lou, and he like carries the thing up, and you see like his heart like and his chest like starts beating like it's his entire chest. Um, anyway, I was just thinking about that this morning, and hopefully. If you guys enjoy that film, or if you don't and you think it's terrible, then that will stick with you as we talk through this um, over the course of the morning. So uh, what I'd like to be able to do first is be able just to read through um, Acts 4, 32-37 with, with y'all. Um, and before I do that, as we get it up on the screen, just kind of bringing us back from what we've been discuss- discussing the last few weeks. We've been going through the book of Acts, um, and it's been amazing to watch the disciples become bold, see the Holy Spirit come after um, Jesus has, has been taken to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and so many um, folks who've come into Jerusalem have now um, joined as, as believers in the resurrected Jesus with the disciples in their newfound boldness by the Holy Spirit and are trying to practice this thing of this new kingdom, this new thing that has come that they're, they're trying to be part of. And so we've been going through uh, chapters 3 and 4, and if you guys recall, um, Peter is out. He heals a crippled beggar um, in the temple. And Mark did a phenomenal job last week of just giving us some images of what the temple looks like. And so they're out in the temple courts. He heals this beggar, and this beggar is jumping up. This guy who has everyone knows this guy doesn't walk. And now he's dancing, he's jumping, and the Sanhedrin, the powerful folks at that time, see this. And they're the folks who can go into the inner sanctum of the temple, the, the place where they can meet God for the people. And suddenly... God seems to be doing something outside of their domain. And so they call in Peter and John, and they say, you know, what is this one that you're doing? And then, but more in a way to to intimidate them, basically like, we might kill you. We might kick you out of our entire community. Um, We're very concerned here that you're stepping on our authority and saying that you know this God that we're supposed to be the ones who can communicate with and know. And so they come back after this, the people have seen this. They can't kill Peter and John. And so Peter and John come back to the church, to their community, this, this fledgling community of folks from Jerusalem and folks who stayed with them after Pentecost. And they're kind of freaked out. And so they pray. Um, and we talked about this recently. Um, I think it was three weeks back. But they pray together for boldness. Because in that moment, there's a, there's a vulnerability there. We might get kicked out of the community. We might get killed. Um, do we want to do this? It's going to get hard. And so they pray, um, and out of this in verse 29, they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. 
Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So you have this picture of folks sitting around in a room, maybe a couple rooms, maybe it's a big Airbnb, um, and they are uh, turned from fear to boldness. They're turned from, are we going to do this or not, to we're all in. Uh, We're not going anywhere. In fact, where we're going is forward together um, as part of this new kingdom. So that kind of leads us into the the passage we're going to be talking through today. I just wanted to kind of bring some context to that. Um, Keeping in mind that Grinch's heart piece, because I think that's going to be fun. Um, So let's, let's read through this together. Verse 32. All the believers... Now I'll read it through here. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold to the, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, um, some of y'all know this, some of y'all don't, but but kind of my history with this passage is much shorter than it's been around, but... um, I actually came to East while still working with a company ministry that I founded called Acts of Sharing. And Acts 4.32 was kind of like our penultimate mission verse. Um, We were helping people to share whatever they had um, with one another, being able to post belongings, needs online, and be able to meet those through locality, through relationship, um, just trying to, to figure out what it means to live out this passage. So it's really, really something that's dear to my heart. And it's something that I think is really, really important for us right now as a church. Um, but maybe in ways that are different from the way that I used to look at this passage. So I'm excited to share it with you. So first off, what does it mean, when I'm reading this, to become one in heart and soul? Um, I feel like we hear words like heart and soul. But when it says all the believers were one in heart and soul, what does that mean? And uh, as I was reading through this, I started getting this image of, and you're going to have to bear with me because I've had movies in my head all weekend with this stuff, so hopefully many of these you've seen. If you haven't, I'll let you get on your phone and you can like Google an image, um, which may actually happen here in a little bit. But um, there's this part of the movie Remember the Titans. Anyone seen this one as well? There's this, this kind of famous spot where they, they take them all out to, uh, to Gettysburg because they're in Virginia and that's not that far away. And they, they have to figure out what it means to come together. And they're in the middle of a time when there's a lot of tension, a lot of um, tension in, in the country and in their own community about integration. And uh, these folks who probably haven't said much of a word to each other and have been within blocks and miles in the same community have to figure out what it means to work together. And Denzel Washington's character, the coach, looks out across this this group of players, I think it's like he wakes them up in the middle of the night and they have to run out to like a gym or I think it's maybe the hallowed ground at Gettysburg. I think that's it. And it's you get the mists coming off the field. And he's and he says something to the effect of 
if we don't come together right now and right here, um, it's going to be here or else. And I felt like when I was reading this about what does it mean to become one in heart and soul, it's, we can't disconnect this from the passage before where they realize that to be a people of this new kingdom, it can't be a, oh, well, when it's convenient for me. Or, oh, well, once this dies down and we've been quiet for a while and um, we're all back to their regularly scheduled programming, we can now jump back in and become, uh, and try to do this thing again. Um, that's not it. And in fact, coming into this verse, we know this context of there's threats on their lives. There is, uh, we got people here, by the way, hundreds of people who don't live in Jerusalem and probably were there for the Pentecost celebration and have stayed with them. So it's not just like everyone's going back to their, their they got other people to take care of. They got people around them that are committed to this that are now figuring out, where am I going to get a job? What am I going to do? Um, and, and they're not sure of that. And so all these things are kind of piled up together and it's very easy, very easy moment to say, you know, let's try this again when it's, when it's a bit better for all of us. Let's try it again when I have a job. Let's try it again when, um, when it's easier. But instead, we learn and Luke tells us that all of the believers were one in heart and soul. And so when I think about this verse, I think about it for where we are as a church, one of the things that I've learned most by being a part of East um, is this idea of becoming a we. How do we in a culture that places everything on only focusing on me as an individual, my, my heart, my mind, how do we become of one heart, of one mind, of one soul? And I think it's, it's in seeing here in, in Acts that the church knows that what they are doing together is so important that they, they must press forward. But the vision that they've been given by God, of who they are as people, only makes sense in being this church. And so when I think about where we are, are we, together, us, are we considering what it means for us to become one in heart and soul? Um, how do we do that? What does that practically look like? Um, and that's what we kind of walk into here uh, next in this passage. The next part says, um, no one claimed that any of his possessions or belongings was his own, but they shared everything they had, is what I have here. And I think generally that's what it says up there as well. Um, I think this is really, really hard. Um, because last week, I mean, this is just a good example of how challenging it is to think of your possessions as your own. Um, for me, as I got a call from my wife saying, hey, we have this friend on Friday. She needs us to move something, and then we're going to go over here, and she was kind of giving me the schedule of the rundown of the day. And I'm, I'm sitting at work, and I'm on the phone, and I'm just like thinking about the next presentation that I have to make, and then this thing that's going to be happening on Saturday. And I just like stopped her on the phone, and I said, no, listen, this is going to be way too stressful. You st- if they, she can take care of it or like call somebody else. And she likes, there was, there was a total like pause, which is like an eight second pause if it's me and Aisha on the phone. And I realized like that probably wasn't going to go over very well to her. And so she reminds me oftentimes when I, when I do this, which is often, clearly, um, that, oh, you're, you're the sharing guy. People used to like see you on the street and say, oh, you're that guy, the, the sharing guy. So the sharing guy can't even make time to go help out with the, you know, the car. So it's like this constant moment of like, reminding that you are a hypocrite 
and you have this tendency towards moving right away from the thing that you, you think of yourself as trying to do. And it was as simple as like driving over, helping someone pick up a, like a chair because I've got a Chevy Avalanche and the only reason that that is sustainable in my mind environmentally and anything else is so that we help people move. And I used to work in college ministry and so that was the, that's why I drive it, guys. Otherwise, I would be driving an electric car, I swear. Um, but if I'm going to have this thing, I need to use it. And even that idea of convenience, that word is so foreign from what it means to be a we. Because convenience is all about me. Convenience is all about my time. It's all about what I want. It's all about what is easiest for me. And I mean, I just, I was thinking about it earlier. I just hate that word. Um, and it is, uh, it's really hard for us to be a we, a people who think together. If my first thought isn't for the person next to me, but it's for myself. It's hard to be a leader of a group of people if those group of people think your first thought is going to be for you and not them. And if we're going to be servant leaders to one another in a community where we actually do meet needs together, then we have to be people who don't look at convenience but look at sacrifice. Um, And actually see sacrifice as actually the the way of me actually loving my neighbor as myself. Because in our culture, that, that is sacrificial. Heck, it's sacrificial for me when I wake up in the morning. It's not just cultural. It's in my own heart. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, that Luke says this. Again, Luke is a doctor. Uh, he's not one to... He's not an embellisher. And we read, when we read through Acts, there's not... He's just very factual about what he takes down. And he says no one claimed it. I mean, no one? I, mean, I would want to ask Luke. No one? Like, there wasn't, like, you know... There wasn't that guy over there who wouldn't share his car that one day? Like, it, really? Like, how, how much of this no one are we talking about here? But no, no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. One of the things we used to try to do with, with um, acts of sharing was we, we used to encourage the communities that we were a part of at different parts of, uh, in Austin and on campus that you've seen in other places, to, to create these groups and just post all the things you think would be of value to anybody else. So that rather than having to go out there and use resources to find something that, that you thought you needed in that moment to find out that other people right around you were there for you and could provide that for you. Um, and so that was, that was the, the intention of trying to think of those things. But I guess a question would be, what, what emotion is most present for you when you say no to someone's ask of you? What, what is, when you think about that, what is the, what is the emotion present? Because for me, it's fear. For me, that, like, last week, it was, it was a fear. It was a stress. Like, this is going to cost me in other places of my life, and I can't have that. That's going to cause, like, some, some crack in the foundation that suddenly the whole house comes toppling down, and it's all my fault. No, 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 no. I can't do this. It's about me. And the church, the church didn't function that way. Um, the church acted asking the question, What's going to be better for you? What's going to be better for you? How can we do things in such a way that our love for each other grows, that our hearts are getting bigger for one another rather than getting smaller and more internalized and more self-focused? How do we become one in heart and soul? Um, one other piece here that I find really, really interesting is... Uh, Luke reminds us, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. So I think that's something to be reminded of, too, in that um, when you choose to seek 
after God in a way that's going to be against our flesh, against our nature, against what is most common in our own society, God has grace for us. That we're not just doing it and then we're going to hope that it will depend on our own strength and the strength of those around us and then it'll just hopefully all work out. It's that we have a God who comes near to us in these moments of challenge, in these moments of not, I'm not sure what 2018 is going to look like. I'm not sure um, how we're going to get through the next few months, actually. Um, God draws near to us in those moments as a church. Um, and I think he, he wants to draw near to us in our, in our weakness. And it's when we are a we that shares in our weaknesses together, that shares in our vulnerability and the places that we are concerned for, the places that we have some fear. I think that's where God, oh, that's going to be good. Hang on. Um, we share our fear, God draws near. I grew up in churches where we just do this. We trying to make you remember things because I don't remember anything that went on my phone five seconds ago. So when, when we share our fear, God draws near. And I think that's what we're getting here in, in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. Um, unmerited favor. Walking around and knowing that, man, I'm going to slip, but God's got it. Um, that's confidence. That's, that's what we need to have. Not just when we go from here, but together as we carry out the mission of God where he's called us as East. Um, the next, next portion here, it says, there were no needy persons among them. That's a tough verse for me. Jesus said the poor will always be with us. What does that mean? How do I put this together? But, but among the church there, there were no needy persons. Meaning that when someone, when there was a need that was seen, it was a need that was made visible. It was a need that was communicated vulnerably and it was taken care of. Does that mean that every single person that walked out with a Ruth's Chris deal and went and had a, you know, and I don't think it was quite to that level, right? But it means that people were not in the shadows. It means that people were able to um, be seen, heard, and made to be a part of the church. And um, I think that's, that's really hard. It's really hard to build the kinds of relationships I think it's hard for me, like in marriage sometimes, to admit my own weaknesses and like dig deep into what's really, what I'm really struggling with. And that's what someone I see every single day, you know? How much harder is it to do that in a consistent way in our restore groups or with the people that we room with or with the people that we are at work with every day, at school with? Um, but we need to, we need to try. Um, and I think that's what we... That's what we try to do with, um, with generosity dinners as well. We try to build rhythms um, here at East and, and amongst uh, friend groups that we have here. We, we try to do these, these, these generosity dinners that you might have heard of, um, and I'll explain them, and if you haven't heard of them, hopefully it'll make sense to you. But we try to get together in a rhythmic way once every month or two or three, um, bring food around a table, and in the process of coming to that table, we try to think about people in our own lives that have some sort of a need that we can meet. And that need, as we look at this, uh, we talk about possessions, we start thinking materials, but many times it's not, it's not necessarily just money that someone needs, it's, it's time. It's that people are, are working day and night and they need to have a weekend that they can just go be themselves and not have to, to worry about the daily grind of things. Um, it's people need a, a space that they can go to um, and know that it's going to be okay. Um, people seem to be encouraged and um, 
I, I love that in this verse we get introduced to Barnabas, who's going to be so important in the rest of Acts. But Paul goes around with, with Barnabas for a while, and, and you have to think about this guy who's called son of encouragement. Um, that, that's what we're trying to be to each other. And these dinners are, are, are ways that we can encourage, whether it be with material, whether it be with, uh, with a note, whether it be with a weekend away. How do we build an awareness where we're open enough and vulnerable enough with each other that we're making real tangible difference in the lives of the people are around us? How do we train ourselves to think of others as much as we think about us? And I think that's, that's what we see in, in 34. There were no needy persons among them because they thought of themselves together. When, when someone lost a job, they were all bummed. When someone got a raise at work, they were all happy. It wasn't just, oh, great, now I can do this, and we get, oh, my gosh, we get to chapter 5. It's going to scare the living, you know, what out of all of us. But, but that's, but that's the, what happens in chapter 5, foreshadowing, is the opposite of that. It's, it's hiding away and being selfish instead of embracing the idea of being a collective family. And, and that's why these things are out in the open. So, um, 34, and it, and it says, they give an example, from time, for from time to time, I don't know how time to time, maybe that's every other week, maybe that was two times this month, three times, two months from now. Um, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. I wonder if they asked the apostles, do you have an accounting degree? Um, are you, uh, you know, how often will we get a chance to sit down and like talk through this with you? Like, I wonder the level of trust, right? Because I know for me, like, there's a, there's a scenario when I start to embrace this idea of we, I start wanting some security around that, right? I start wanting to know that, you know, I'm not being duped, I'm not being uh, taken advantage of. And, um, but the reason that that's not a part of what Luke says, the reason there wasn't like um, 16 different small verses about the committees that were formed and the scenarios that took place was because this kind of relationship, I think, was so tight-knit and so available and so open that it was like family. That it was, if you had a question, you asked it. If you, had a, if you wanted to have a conversation, there was time. Um, and if you yourself had a need, you could communicate it, and you felt and were developing that ability to be honest with the people around you. Um, again, and I, and I hope as we're talking through this, um, we're not just thinking about a 2,000-year-ago community, uh, although we should, but that we're asking ourselves those questions about, about us, about East, about um, the people that we, we spend time with each week. What, what does that look like? This is, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is a, a kingdom, this is a group of people willing to stand against the principalities of the world and say, it's better to give than to receive. It's better to love my neighbor as much or more than myself. And how does this play out in time? That's what Luke starts to, starts to give us here. Um, so a couple things uh, I want to be able to talk through as we kind of move from, from, this, uh, from applying these, these verses, this story, this culture into East. Um, I know this, this phrase, boldness in living, boldness in giving, comes from boldness in loving. I think... As I look back on certain ways in which this is applied out in my own life, this happens when we when we when we kind of grow our hearts in that and uh, again that Grinch-like way that I mentioned at the very beginning. When we allow ourselves to grow in such a way that it's who we are 
to love the people around us. That that becomes more of my identity than what, is my, what does my mortgage look like in two months if I don't do this and I, and I take this away? Or what does it look like if I don't get this job and I'm, you know, because I'm playing it out in the future. And I'm playing the future out. We never play the future out with other people. Have you guys noticed this? I play the future out by myself. I never play the future out as a we. I play it only as me. And it is really, really scary when I think of the future as me, which is why then when I bring it back into the present, I only bring me with me. And so how do we plan together? How do we think of the future together? I know there are people right next to us without starting to to isolate ourselves um, and create the stress and the worry that comes from being alone, being unseen, and feeling very vulnerable uh, with no one there to help you. Um, there's, uh, and and when, we, when we think about that, on the other end, if we're a part of a community, and, and I think many of us have come from communities where, where there's a boldness in asking people to give to the community, but if, you, if we are not a part of a, a community that loves each other, it is one of the most offensive things that we've probably experienced to be told, oh, give, give to this thing, give over here, and you feel like, what, what are you talking about? Like, don't you know that I'm struggling over here? Don't you know that? And the reality is that we don't, and that we're a part of a community that people don't know. Maybe, and I'm not saying that those people don't care, but if you don't know, you don't know that there is care. And so as, as we consider how we go about being a community that is generous toward one another, that's only going to work as we love each other well. So that when I say, hey, we're in trouble, someone goes, oh, we know, we understand, how can we help? And not, well, I'm in trouble too. Like, I, well, right, I mean, maybe we, maybe we should have been talking the last couple months about what was going on and we wouldn't be in this position where we're feeling like we're unknown. Um, and that's how, that's how the church operated. Um, so it will offend us if we don't love each other to be generous. It will offend us to take care of each other's needs. It will, it will offend us to, to live as the church if we do it in an unknown way. Um, let's see here. So, so when we are, when I'm yours, when you're mine, when we are yours and you're ours, it's not sacrifice to say that yours is mine and mine is ours. It's a lot of pronouns, I know. Um, when you see that, you've, you've probably heard those things. Right? Yours is mine, mine is I. That works when, when it's family. That works when I think that we're actually better together. When we actually realize that um, through love, there is access to everything that I need in this community. It, it doesn't work when I, when I feel as though I'm a, I'm a part of something that I need to grab for. And I'm afraid my hand's going to get hit back. So how, building that, that kind of generous love, and I was going to have you guys look at this up on your phone. You don't need to. But if you think about it later, if you search come, fall in love on Google, you get this beautiful picture of the front deal of Dilwale Dilhenniele Jayenge, which is my all-time favorite Bollywood film, one of them. It's a great like, picture of these folks out in the middle of Punjab like embracing one another. And uh, yes, so the invitation in that movie and in this time is, is come. As a church, let, let's fall in love. Let's figure out what it means to love each other to such a degree that we want to share our struggles, that we want to um, take joy in what each other are doing, um, and that we want to, to together impact our community in a way that reflects the love of Jesus. Um, because that's what matters. That's, that's the unchanging, um, exciting thing that we get to be part of here. Um, 
Okay. Last few things. Uh, what is so, so? Some questions then are, are: Are our hearts getting bigger or smaller? Because that was the opportunity and the uh, and the challenge to the church in in chapter four that we're reading. They could have they could have gone into their separate places and say, you know. Let's take a break for a while, and let's you know, let's come back when things are different, when the sun's shining, and it's and it's easier for us. Um, but instead, they, they dug in deeper, and they said, "How? What do we have to do? What can we do? What are we what are we able to do to make this joy complete? To take care of these needs? Um, and what does that look like for us right now, as a we, as a community?" Um, the next question is, are we falling more in love with each other? Because this, these ideas, these powerful ways of living that when we read about, we go, oh, I wish it was like that. That would be phenomenal. It would be so great if I, could, if I knew these people had my back to the point that I could take that risk for the kingdom. It would be great to know that, um, that I don't have to worry about this thing over here with, you know, my parents' health deteriorating. I don't know who to go to about that because they don't have health care and I don't want to talk about that because I don't want to burden anybody else. But that's not the first thing that comes to mind when the other side of it is how blessed am I to have people that I can share that with and who will share in that with me and will care about that with me. Um, are we falling more in love with each other? And that's a, that's a question of, of how do we become more vulnerable? How do we become more aware um, what does it look like when we get together in our restore groups and talk about what's going on in our lives? How do we make that um, lovely? Um, and then finally, is our love overflowing to anyone? So when we go back into the, the, the passage here, it says, uh, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So it wasn't just that the community itself was taking care of itself. That's what's, that's what's scary, right? Now we, when we have built ourselves from a, from a me to a we, then God asks us to go out to people who we don't know, who have not said, oh yeah, I'll be vulnerable with you too. Um, I, I'll care about you like you care about me. It, it doesn't say... And, it took, and, and Peter and the, and the apostles took care of those who took care of them. What we do here together enables us as a church to take the risks to love people where we are when those folks may not respond to our we with a, same, with a sameness, with an usness. Uh, you, may get, you may get stiff-armed. You may get taken advantage of. Um, We'll read through Acts. There's a lot worse things that come than just that. But what God is building in us and what God is teaching us to do and teaching the, the church to do here in Acts is love each other so well that you don't sit there and measure yourself against other people out here, whatever. You don't worry about what can happen to you because you know that people around you are already thinking about what's happening to you. You don't have to take care of yourself because other people are taking care of you and encouraging you to self-care and find time and to make you the best person that you can be. Um, that's what the church looks like. And when that happens, 
we're empowered to love people who will not love us. And, we won't, and it's not an insular community. God is training us up to love those who will not love us. To love our neighbor when our neighbor will spit at us and, and turn the music up later that night. Or uh, want to take us to court for something that we're trying to do um, in a neighborhood for families. Whatever that, whatever that level of opposition is, God is preparing us for it. And that is what we are building here. We're building that kind of courage and that kind of love that overcomes those sorts of things. And so when we talk about becoming a we, it's not just for us. When we become one in heart and soul, we are empowered to go love people that way who have never experienced that, have never committed to that, and never seen that before. And that's what the church began here in Jerusalem, and that's what began what we now know as the church. And while we're messed up and struggling to do that in all sorts of ways, that's why Jesus calls us the, his bride, is that through living that out, we become the fragrance of Jesus to those who are living and those who are perishing. Um, and so, is our heart getting bigger or smaller? Are we falling more in love with each other? And is our love overflowing out of this we that it goes to anyone indiscriminately, regardless of their response to us? Let's pray. Father God, we are, we admit right now that when we read these words and we read about your church, I know that I cannot do this. I know that, that my heart is, uh, is for me, that I will be driven by my own interests if I just wake up and let, let me do me. Um, but there's a better way, God. Um, and you show us that by embracing um, our neighbor, by loving those around us, that we can be a community right here um, that, looks, that looks the way that you, that you created us to look. That we can build that kind of love, that we can love each other so well that we can take risks in loving those who will not love us. Um, Father, I pray that as we consider what it means to be a community that is generous with their time and talent and all the possessions that you've given us, that we would know first that, that we, we need you to do that. We need you to change our hearts. We need you to make us more like you so that we might desire these things and know that feeling of knowing that we, we have each other, that we are there for one another, and that, that the things that we're concerned about, other people are concerned about too. Um, God, help us to take action um, out of that love, not out of guilt, um, not out of insecurity or out of a, a desire to achieve something, but truly out of a love for one another. Help us to, to find out what that means in our own hearts and our own lives as we become more of a we and embrace um, our church together to be on the mission that you've called us to. We're so grateful that you love us. We know it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that the church did these things. And so we ask Holy Spirit to be here with us, to um, abide with us and teach us and pray for us in the ways that we don't know how to be prayed for, that we might be the people that you have made us to be. And, and truly love with a love that overflows in the, in the lives of those around us as well as the lives that make up this we that we are.
We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.